0: Today I have the privilege of having Dave Mattson, the president and CEO of Sandler Training. Dave, welcome to the show. Thank you, thanks for having me. Dave, I've studied a lot of sales uh, processes and techniques and Sandler. The thing I love about it, it's the most organic way to connect with human beings, and it comes down to really figuring out what's happening in the other person's world more important than what's happening in ours. So I'm really excited to start this conversation with you. Good, I'm glad to be here. So when did you, take over as leader of the organization like were you within the organization or did you come from
1: without? I was actually a client. (laughs) I'm introverted. I went to an organization. They were clients and they said you have to go through sales training and I was a typical I don't want to go there you know not (laughs) me and so I was a centee. I was a hostage and I went and realized that Sandler was basically a communication model. And Brilliant. I really, really gravitated towards that because it wasn't, I didn't have to be somebody I wasn't. And I could apply these proven tactics and strategies based on communication psychology to me, myself and my own personality. Right. And then I became their number one salesperson because I put it. I'm about to give you a high five. <laughs> So I practiced because that's my thing, right? Right. And then I went to work for an office up in Connecticut, a Sandler office. And I had the chance to see Dave Sandler at our conferences, who by that time, I already knew he was the guy. right? Right. It's not you have to look back 10 years after and you say, you know what, that was the greatest opportunity. I should have really capitalized on that. Right. I knew it going into it. I went to a conference. Dave Sandler said, I'm looking for somebody to come on the staff to train the trainers. And I'll mentor them. I'll teach them. And I just raised my hand. I looked over. My hand was already up. Did did I do this? (laughs) Yes, exactly. And I had the opportunity to come down to see and work with Dave. I became a partner, 25% owner in 1994. Nice. I bought another 25% in 2007, and then the rest of the company in 2012. So let's back up to that first uh, Mm -hmm.
0: buy-in. Was that through the mentorship of Dave or did you guys discuss it or
1: how did it come about? As far as being a partner? Yeah. (laughs) Um, I was going around the world doing boot camps for David. First of all, I had many different jobs for David. And then um, I went over to Europe, had an accent, right? Had the Bob Newhart humor when I was in London, so I naturally fit. And I was there for a couple of years and I came back and said, uh, I was going to go back to Connecticut because we wanted to start mm-hmm. a family. And he said, well, would you be our partner um, because you're doing great work. We trust you. You know, there's a, there's a bond here. I said, wow, okay, absolutely. And the interesting thing is when I went to try to get the money because I was young, I right. was like 27 at the time, mm-hmm. right? Uh, no banks would give me the money. Yep. And my family came from a very, you know, working class. Their only asset really mm-hmm. was their home. And I didn't say a word. But my parents actually came to me about two months later and said, we've put the house up, we've remortgaged the house to give you the wow. money. And it was amazing. And I just, of course, I was always, my head's always down to make sure I get stuff done, but that was added motivation for me to make sure. So that Brilliant. it just happened because he watched me, didn't say a word, and then it was time he made that offer. It's just amazing the love
0: that we have for our kids and our family. Yeah. One of the things that really fascinates me is uh, the people that uh, have, uh, how many franchisees around the world? 265. Which is pretty amazing. Yeah. And the thing I love about it, uh, a lot of these stories are similar to yours, as in they came across Sandler and were trained in it uh, or liked it a lot and said, hey, I want to start my own thing. I'm going to get a franchisee. And they put down cash to make that happen. Right and every day they live and breathe this stuff. Uh, sorry, advanced copier systems, but <laughs> true, because they're teaching it, and yeah. they're using those techniques to actually grow their practice, their business. Right. So help me understand, uh, you could have franchisee A doing a good job, and we're happy that they're there. Then you've got franchisee B, who's just for whatever reason is doing a spectacular job. Mm-hmm. They both train the same way, they know the system intimately, what do you think's going on there? What makes one person more exceptional than, than another?
1: Well putting aside you know pipeline development for a minute yes. right because we're big behavioralists yes let's assume that was the same mm-hmm. and the you know they're training the same. I really think it's the connection with the clients right because I can be a tactician yes and and teach it and this is what you say and how you say it and that's okay. But if I jump into a role play with you and said, this is what you should be saying. And by the way, now let's step back. Why would we do that? Why is that good for our customer? Why is that good for the other person? What clarity does that have for them? And why would I want to do it for yourself? And I think if you can get into each side, their head, what's going on between their ears, that's a real connection because it's just not the what, it's the why. And I think the more successful trainers we have connect the what and the why together versus just the what. That's brilliant, because I think that why is the motivator that gets people
0: to right. do what they do. Uh, sometimes when I'm teaching gratitude, where there's lots of like exercise, what are you grateful for? Mm-hmm. And I am not really that enthused about, I'm grateful for my kids. What is really powerful is the because. And that's the why, right? I'm Absolutely. grateful for my kids because they make my life worth living, or I'm grateful for whatever. And that's what you're really talking about, is that why piece. Even if, what's fascinating is, I'm not sure if you remember when you were a kid, uh, it's a while ago. <laughs> but you knew strategically which parent to ask for a particular thing to get your way. It's true. And so we have a really clear vision of what's going to happen, and I think just by asking that why question, mm-hmm. even if we don't get it 100% accurate, just by asking it, you get that perspective on the situation that you didn't have
1: if you just stayed at that tactician level. It's true, and I guess what I would ask, When do we lose the because? We had it as a kid? Yes. Is it because we went in, we got a business card, and now we're in the business community, we forget the because? Because I agree, even when we teach elevator pitches or 30-second commercials, what the pain indicator is, okay, fine, but because it's important to them, that's the connection. And at some point, I think we just lose the because, and I'm not sure whether we've consciously just forgot about the because, because it's a routine, or we've been bombarded out in the environment with the lack of because'es and we just kind of fall into into the you know into line, I guess. But is the most important bridge, I believe.
0: And I think where where we mm-hmm. uh, need to make a difference is the educational system, because yeah. I think it made a lot of sense for a time that's gone by, and our system is designed so much. Sit in your chair, give the answer the way it's, don't communicate, don't connect. This day and age with cell phones, it gives people the ability to just even distance themselves further from human beings. It's true. And I'm not sure you've seen this research. I think as far as the research was guesstimating, uh, they're probably more accurate than guesstimate, Mm -hmm. that there's like 18 some odd million salespeople in the US and that number is gonna shrink drastically. Real estate's a good example as automation comes in, that the people that are going to have practices are the ones that have relationships with their customers where their customers won't go anywhere else. And I think that's one of the things that we really need to teach our kids and teach our adults, too, is that human connection is ultimately what it is.
1: I agree. And I think if, the, if we do the, the trends, uh, we, have re, we have Forrester speaking at our conference. Oh, really? Up. Yeah. And, the, and what they're saying is the majority of the sales organizations are going to shift towards a channel. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. And in the technology, the shift is to inside sales reps, SDRs. Yes. And they're struggling most of the time because that because isn't there. And that disengagement, if we're gonna call that, which is how they grew up, you can't sell that way, especially on the phone. Think about yes. it. How hard is it to connect with somebody and as if they're sitting right across from you when you're on the phone and you've never grown up that way. I mean, how many of our kids actually text each other when they're in the same household? It's amazing how many parents, the only way they communicate with the kids, is like I call them, they won't call back, but if I text them, I'll get a response back. I okay. have five of them, and that's exactly what happens. If I text, they respond. If I call, they seem to be busy. And
0: apparently there's this new thing now called Voxer, which is like a walkie-talkie app. Okay. And I've got uh, younger clients that I work with, it's like, don't text me. If you really want my attention, use Voxer. And really? it's like, okay. 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 yeah. Today I did a video. I'm going to send you a copy of it, by the way. Good. Uh, This was the subject of it, is once in a while you get a group of people that come together, Mm -hmm. that come together in such a way that they form this amazing team where it's not about ego, it's not about me, it's not about my department. It's about how can I be of service of these people around the table with me to make this organization grow. And I know Sandler's really focused on that uh, cultural organizational uh, effort because so few companies have it.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, What are you guys doing to address that? We have a program called Organizational Excellence, Mm -hmm. which is a roadmap, a playbook for, I'm going to say, entrepreneurial-type companies where we can control our outcomes. And, And maybe you're a leader of a particular division, and you still have that, but it's what do I do to better understand where I am today and where I would like to be in the next one, three, four years? Yes. And so, you know, from a professional standpoint, but also personal. You know, I went through this particular program as a client, right? And I was driven towards I want Sandler to be successful. I would like this revenue. What was missing is the personal why connected to that, mm-hmm. because yes. this is what it would do. And and I realized I had the because light bulb go off. Once you have the plan. Then you have to sit back and say, okay, well, what's the, what's the org chart look like? Mm-hmm. Let's blow this up and you know, forget people who are here. What does it look like? And then the next stage is, where do I find the right type of people? And maybe they're internal or external, but when I've got them there, how do I develop them? How do yes. I do that? right? And then we're talking about process, and people shy away from process. But in my mind, it's really just playbooks. What am I going to do? do? You know? Yeah, you desperately need that. It's uh, uh,
0: have you read the book uh, Checklist? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a perfect example of yeah. checklists save more lives than the latest medical advances because if you don't have that process, you're going to, A, you might do something wonderful, but you don't know how you did it I if know. you didn't have a process and you can't improve unless you've got it kind of documented. So I think it should be seen as an, a, a tool, an asset, a utility. That without it, you're lesser
1: than you should be. Well, when think about any sports team. Don't they have a mm-hmm. process? It's called plays. Yes. You know, you don't get in the huddle and say, okay, everybody what do, we, do the best you be can. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It doesn't, it doesn't work. And if you think about organizations that, you know, you said you were with a group of people who were really uh, focused on the greater good. Inherently, don't we all start that way? But I think what's happened is they've grown up and realized maybe I I couldn't make that um, impact, or I've learned not to do anything, and I've kind of given up. But it's nice when you just start fresh and yes. say, regardless of the past, I'm making a contribution. And it's hard to find those groups of people, but when you do, you really have to grab onto it. And if you find an organization that you don't have that group, look in the mirror if you're a leader. You can, you can fix that. In my worldview, uh, we all have three faces.
0: We've got this illusion that we show the outside world. Mm -hmm. So let's say I'm in a company. Uh, I'm really smart. I'm your go-to person. I'm amazing. I can do anything. And then we've got this delusion of who we think we are. And you've probably met people that who they actually think they are is not what they're portraying to the outside world. And sometimes this is a very positive thing and this is negative. And other times people go, I never get anything right. And they're just kind of like, gee, shucks, I'm not that good. But internally it's like I'm the best person here. Mm -hmm. Then I think there's a third place. And the third place is the authentic self. I think that's part of our journey as human beings, but especially as leaders, to really get a good sense of this is who I really am, this is what drives me, these are my deepest values. Because once you uncover that, it gives you the ability to get let go of the delusion of who we think we are. We become authentically li- who we are. Mm-hmm. And then when we become brave enough, this is what we portray to the outside world. And those people, when you meet them, you just feel comfortable in their presence because uh, there's a level of safety and uh, power, not force on your boss. It's just there, and you just want to follow them wherever they lead
1: you. And it's congruency, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Because if you don't have that third position, eventually you're going to have leakage. Absolutely. What you say and what you do are two different things. And you don't even know you're doing it. It's a blind spot, to be honest with you. Right? Um, But I'll think back to leaders who go into a position early Mm -hmm. on, I think there is confusion of who I am and what I want people to see me as. It takes time, and for whatever reason, to get to that safety point. Yeah. And you become a great leader when that occurs.
0: And I think there's one other thing. Every single human being on planet Earth has a purpose in life, why they're here. And most people don't uncover that. Mm-hmm. And it's not that. Once we do uncover that, then it allows you to be follow a direction, because purpose is not destination, Is a way of being and my purpose is to be a joyful educator. And when I look back at all the things I've ever done from sales to whatever, there was always a teaching component and helping other people do better. In some jobs, it was a 20% component. Mm -hmm. And in the current job, it's a 100% component. So I think when leaders or the people we lead uncover their purpose, it gives them that direction they need. Once they uncover who they are, it gives them the ability to bring their best selves to the team uh, without ego to say, okay, what can I do to make this better? And I think better is such a brilliant word. Best is uh, sucks because we stop, but better is that ongoing continual improvement. So the question I have for you is this. Sandler, the actual essence of the sales system, I suspect has not changed a lot because human beings are human beings. But Sandler as an organization has, and you fill the needs of the current how many decades now that Sandler has been around 50, 50? By the way, so you guys have evolved yes. to be relevant to uh, your constituents. So mm-hmm. tell me about what that thinking's like so that you keep your finger on the pulse and you don't get caught
1: you know uh, being stuck in the old way. A um, lot of different tentacles. But yes. we have 265 offices every single day they're interacting with business people. Mm-hmm. And they are the greatest source of information. Nice, because we sell it and we manage every day. And so when we're interacting with clients, we're learning an awful lot. So people learn from us, but when I'm in front of a customer, I learn. Isn't that way. amazing? How yeah. so much more. I take so much back. Yes. Right, because I don't want to get stuck in the ego, which is Sandler is great. We won all of the awards. You will change. You know, Mr. Customer, you will conform it can't be that way if you're going to be a subservient leader right you should also think about as an organization I'm not going to have everyone conform to the Sandler selling system you're correct it has not changed but when you're in your thirty-one different countries, people see the world differently. Oh, absolutely. And just think about all the constituents. We've got people who don't open textbooks, right? Yes. So then they just take information differently, which I don't understand how you're going to learn anything in yep. two and a half minutes. I don't get it. But it doesn't matter what I get. If you're going to serve the customer and focus on you the need customer, to serve where they're at. That's what you have to do. Yeah. You've got to go to them, and stop forcing them to come to you. Now you could do that, but I think that business model forces you to go out of business. You have to be agile.
0: Absolutely, and I think that feedback loop is so critical. Mm -hmm. Just yesterday I was talking to a guy I happened to meet who's a a dog trainer, Mm -hmm. loves it, entrenched in it, I was telling him about a friend of mine that's got a new technology to do it, and his immediate reaction was, that's not gonna work, you can't change this, you can't do that, and that might be true, but it was him imposing his world view Mm -hmm. on something he didn't know anything about. So here's my theory on what a leader should do this, three primary functions. One is to have strategically sound vision that's so compelling that people go, I wanna be on that journey. The second thing is culture. How do we get our people to be selfless and uh, come on this journey together so we create something that is, can live on past the owner's mm-hmm. uh, tenure? Mm-hmm. And the third thing is how do we grow the shareholder value? And we can only do that if we're great leaders and we groom people underneath us to step up. And so how does Sandler help their clients grow leaders so you actually get that kind of organization where the leader can focus on what's most important? Because in most organizations, they're dragged into operations all the time.
1: Sure, A couple things. Let's talk about sales leaders first and then we'll go higher up. I think sales leaders are the least trained group of people in Mm -hmm. any organization because You're good at sales. Why don't you be a manager? (laughs) Exactly. And then they say, just do what you do and replicate yourself. I wish it was that easy. Yes. It's not that easy. So I think the first responsibility of an organization is to train your people and help them and show them what it looks like to succeed. People learn by imitation illustration. Yes. So, you know, show it to them. It's not, it's one thing to, hey, you have to be a good coach but give them a playbook, show them how to do it, and then reinforce it just by doing it once. I can go to the golf course and practice once. It doesn't do anything yes. for me. It has to become part of my DNA, part of my life. So I think if, as an organization, leaders, if you can create playbooks, awesome. If you can, can then be congruent and demonstrate yes. all the things that you need to do, I think that that's a, a good step forward as Walk you Walk your talk, because exactly. exactly. you need to be authentic. Exactly. You know, and if, if you really you know, step back and say, Okay, well what are we doing to get there? Well, the first thing that we provide clients is a roadmap. Here is what it looks like in order for you to be a great leader, mm-hmm. whether it's a sales leader, operational, here's the roadmap. Most people have bits and pieces. But they've also observed throughout their career of somebody that they thought did it well. Yes. And so in our first X amount of years, all we're doing is mimicking what we've seen. Mm-hmm. So if you can give them a roadmap and allow them the flexibility to, to go within that roadmap based on the culture, based on who they are, then it becomes them, not somebody yes. else, right? That's the first thing, I think. The Second thing is I think we've we put people together. So they're not isolated. We have groups of leaders to get together. We have groups of sales leaders to get together. Sometimes we don't see our own blind spots. That's why God invented spouses, by the way. (laughs) And they're the greatest. They're great at that. But if I'm looking at somebody else and they have a problem, and it's very easy for me to be a movie star in somebody else's company. Yes. Right? Because I'm not emotionally involved. And so when I do that, more oftentimes than not, I will go back and say, you know what? I should be implementing X, Y, and Z. And maybe I wasn't even involved in that conversation, but I watched it happen. Yes. Because observers learn more than the people that are actually in it, because we're emotionally involved, yes. right? So that's there. And I think it's you've got to create an environment where it's not learned helplessness. Yes. It's self sufficiency. I think great leaders create an environment where people are self sufficient. And you give them the two Ps, which is Protection and permission. You yes. give them permission to operate within their lanes. Yes. You have to explain what those are. It has to be clear. And you also have to give them permission to fail, permission to make decisions within their lane. You know, Stanley, it's the greatest thing he ever did for me. Right, David, here are your lanes. Act as if it's your business. I give you permission to make those decisions. I also know that you're going to make some bad decisions. Then the second P was protection. Mm-hmm. So he protected. Did me if in fact I did make a bad decision, yes. or if people on the outside questioned my decisions, but they were within my lane. I think that sense of security allows people to grow, to stick your head up above, not really, you know, not worrying that you're going to get whacked. And it's really, it, it's awesome because now you're, you're really helping people jump, and they want to jump. You don't have to drag them; they're actually pushing you to go up. So just adding to that and, and getting
0: some more clarification, I think there's lots of leaders that would say, all right, this is yours, go for it. That's different than what you described. Mm-hmm. Like giving permission and providing protection is more of a covenant between me as a leader and you, and it's more authentic. Through that foundation, you allow people to, to do that, to actually mm-hmm. step up like they should. So I think people have an illusion that they're doing that, Yeah but they're not, they're just giving lip service, and of course, because it wasn't authentically given, when there's a problem, they're not there to uh,
1: have their back, they're there to, to blame. I th- yeah, I think that one of the things that I hear from a lot of leaders when we do coaching or off to the side, I would like a culture of accountability. <laughs> would you really? <laughs> yeah, it comes up all the time, yes. and, they, and they really are blaming others for not doing that. But to your point, when they do give, you know, let's say this is yours, own it. That in itself doesn't do anything. Agreed. Yeah, you have to have clarity. You have to agree on the roadmap. You have to say, look, what support do you need from me? Here are your areas of responsibility. Here's what you can do. Here's what it looks like. And the more you explain it, and by the way, when you talk to leaders and you say that to them, say, well, they should know that. That's why I've hired them. Yes. Okay, well, look. I should have known to, how to be a good parent on my first child, yeah. but that's not how it works. You know, I've practiced on my first yeah. one. I got better on the second, You know, even better on the third. But that's how you have to do it. That's not how humans operate. And maybe it's a, I have to sit back and wonder, is it just an easy way out for the leaders to say, well, that's who I've hired? Because maybe they don't know either. I think that's primarily the issue because they know what yeah. it's not, but they don't know what it is.
0: But even when you go to like management school mm-hmm. or MBA school, they mm-hmm. don't teach that human stuff. Yeah. They teach it as in more tactics. Here's the process. So I like processes and checklists, but if you don't have the right intent and you don't know why it's happening, then you're just an automaton and why do we have you there and not someone else? And I think, but that comes down to that leader going, I don't know. Yeah and I need help, in which case I go to Sandler or I go to my Vistage coach. Mm -hmm. But as we go on, I talked about those three faces. Sometimes the illusion is I know everything and I'm infallible and the great leaders are like, this is the best way I know how, but we're figuring it out. And And I like the two Ps. And the only thing I'd add to it, which might be inherently there, but I think in organizations, if we get people to go, it's not only okay to ask for help, it's expected of you. If you value the team, mm-hmm. if you need help, put up your hand. Because in most organizations, people will do the illusion of I've got this till it gets out of hand. Right. And I think we have that ability to know that
1: everyone's got your back and then... And build uh, it into the process. Yeah. Build I it mean, into the culture. I mean, even if you think, hey, you've got that. Think about the person that's on the receiving end, the employee. Yes. They're in the first group, right? That first face, which is, this is who i need to be because yes. what are they going to say hey thanks for hiring me thanks for allowing me to have this responsibility i don't
0: know what to do <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> you know and i have a new coo yeah right and for for me i say well you know we, we here are the guidelines here's we're working on a project and i say when i did this i struggled for the first three times i did it so let's talk about what's gone through your head yes you know any high five
0: for you for doing that because i think it's a conversation they need to have, and if, yeah. I can tell just by the way you articulated it, this is something that you deeply mean, and the other person can
1: feel that, yeah. and I think that is that human connection again. Well, they're coming in all the time now and saying, well, how would I do? What do you think about? And that collaboration helps both of us. And, you know, and I even say as a CEO, I'm just brainstorming. Yes. This is only an opinion. Yes. I'm not dictating. You know, ultimately, you know, we'll come up Let's with Let's do. Idea. Let's be scientists and see the results we get. If we've got a process, we can figure exactly. out what we need to change,
0: and we get better as we go. And if you're doing it at the, the C level, then it gives permission to the middle management to, right. to follow suit because they're going to model whatever you guys are doing. Exactly. And what they, a lot of organizations, the leader or the C-suite, go on a retreat with an amazing uh, uh, instructor or facilitator, and they come back with these newfangled ideas mm-hmm. that they – Distribute, but they don't walk their talk. Right. And what people say in the organization is, keep your head down. This too shall pass. And this two shall gonna pass. Get Operation Delta, just yeah. <laughs> shut
1: up. It'll be gone by June. <laughs> yes.
0: Dave, uh, I wish we could go on longer. This was a I fascinating conversation. Before we uh, go, I'm going to ask you to be vulnerable. Okay. As a leader, what's your next thing that you're trying to learn? And what's your biggest fear? Like, I, I want to make sure that as Sandler, as a leader, that uh, I pay attention to this, so we are live for
1: another 50 years? Uh, biggest fear, professionally or personally? Whichever way you want to take that. I think the biggest fear for us is to remain nimble because the technology is changing all day yes. long. I'm not just competing with other training companies, now I'm competing with technology <laughs> companies, <laughs> <Yeah>. exactly. <laughs> and technology, and that worries me because mm-hmm. that's a undefined landscape for mm-hmm. me. You know, next thing you know, I'm I, we train LinkedIn, but now I'm competing with LinkedIn. Yes. When, where did that pop up, right? Where did that happen from? So I, I think that that's my biggest fear, is yes. to stay relevant in, a, in an environment that is just changing at like light. light speed. I love that word, relevance. Yeah. And the second thing, what do you want to learn? Like,
0: what's your learning for the next year that you're focusing on to be a better leader?
1: It's really to um, slow down. Mm-hmm. I've been in the left lane now for seven to 10 years, completely transforming the organization. And I know in my heart of hearts, I'm not connecting with the the trainers as often as I did. Yes, I'm not connecting with the customers as often as I did. And I know it, it's not a self-awareness issue. I've rationalized it that I I have no time, Mm -hmm. but I have the time. And so I literally, what I've done is looking forward as I've brought people in to do more of the operational things. So I can do more of the business, you know, building the business, but also building the relationships that made us great. And
0: that culture, how do you stay in tune, keep your finger on the pulse, be relevant and be focused and live in integrity. Exactly. Dave, thanks so much. My pleasure. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating.